0: all you movie junkies and cinephiles it's time for the SLS cast with your hosts Matt and Tim and welcome one and all to episode 202 of the SLS cast yes ladies and gentlemen this would be nothing less than the e-number episode of the SLS cast. Turns out that the E number is the number that is assigned to chemicals that are safe for food usage in Europe and also in Switzerland. And it just also so happens to be that uh, potassium sorbate is a preservative whose E number is 202. And with that long way down knowledge about the number two or two this week, I of course am Matt, and coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident sunny employee Tim,
1: potassium sorbate.
0: Yes, Pot- I imagine it's um, it's a banana sorbet, maybe. <laughs> um,
1: maybe. Oh, so it's a yeah, sorbet, right. not a sorbet. <laughs> it's like whenever I, I, I first became aware of what sorbet was. I would actually call it sorbet. Sorbet. This sounds foreign. This doesn't originate from Tomball, Texas, this sorbet. And neither did sorbet, as I found out. Much later on, I'm sure. Yesterday. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Indeed. So how, how are you doing? How's school treating you? School is rough. I'll be glad when
0: October's over and we don't have five and six movies a week to watch again
1: rocktober podtober there's a lot of insert whatever you want here tobers going on this month is there one that you prefer the most shocktober shocktober i'm sure if there was a big car sale going on it would also be (laughs) cartober dealtober
0: cartober sounds good
1: cartober Cartober, Come on down for Sunday, Sunday, Sunday in Cartober. Free hot dogs for the kids! So we got a little bit of rain yesterday here in California. I'm, I'm sure you saw that on your evening news, either today or yesterday. And, it, like, it's embarrassing, because just so happens Lester Holt for the NBC News was here broadcasting from wherever in L.A. that they broadcast from when they are here... And that was kind of like, not a main headline, but one of the headlines that they kind of tease you with before the first commercial break, like, you know, coming up, this famous city forgot what rain felt like until today. And then it comes back, and of course it's California, and they're showing like power lines down, traffic, people like like legitimately confused as to what to do with their lives. At that time, and then it goes. They reached half an inch of rainfall. <laughs> Some not even half a inch. Half an inch. Some places just actually barely made the scale for the first time in a hundred in in fifteen days or something like that. And it's just amazing. It's kind of like I, certainly there's more Donald Trump you can cover, or it could possibly be that they are so tired of talking about this presidential election that. They made L.A. receiving less than half an inch of rain a big deal. We still got a drought.
0: Yes, I agree. Half an inch of rain scattered out would definitely be not enough to stop drought
1: conditions. I like how serious you said that. Like, if I'm, you were in the situation... You just, or, kind of,
0: you just kind of, like, dropped off the face of the planet there, and I was like, Jesus Christ, did his mic cut out or something? I was... So I'm like,
1: filler, Matt. Filler! Think filler! I had nothing else yes, to say about that correct. subject. No. Just how Rain how is. silly the, the weather... Like, we have a guy, one of our weathermen is named Dallas Rains, and he dresses in this sleek... I think they call it, like, shark... Is it a shark suit? Is that right? Where it's kind of like the sleek fitted blue. It it looks like it has like a sheen to it. And he has this fake tan and his hair is, you know, goes all the way back, you know, like gelled back all the time and he has these pearly white teeth and he's so excited to tell you about the weather and there's never anything to report, but it's an ongoing joke that he carries over because his name is Dallas Rains.
0: Interesting.
1: (laughs) We're struggling here, folks. We're, we're struggling.
0: In in the, in in the immortal words of Meg Ryan's character from Joe versus the Volcano, I have no response to that. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) All right. Well, um, I personally am just not, nothing, um, nothing good in life right now. So, um, We got... uh
1: Certainly there's got to be something good.
0: Uh, I don't know. I don't want to get depressed and Too talk late. about it anymore. So, how about we go to the old mailbag?
1: Jingle, jingle that old mail sack.
0: Okay, we have got three, count them, three Twitter followers to mention looking in our email box over here at the show at slscast.com. Um, and of course, if you would like to follow us on twitter you can do that as well by following at the sls cast so let's begin apparently there's a person called podcast fan out there with at week's top p- pods and this person who do- who goes through and sifts through podcast after podcast after podcast to find the best shows and episodes and i'm sure we're there every fucking week that's right every week uh then we also have at funny because it's true who is john wilkins who's a comedian and a writer uh out of denver and uh he is following us now so thanks for that follow there and then last but not least i I mean this is kind of like crazy i don't know if this is like one of those weird spam accounts or not but i don't think it is because there's like a legit picture and everything uh it's vivek salanki at vivek Solanke 8VS, uh, from, uh, gandina I'm sorry, Gandhinagar, India. We have finally reached beyond the Ivory Coast, Tim. We are now into the deeper recesses of Asia and have found our first fan in India. And I am super excited that we are now listened to we're no longer we're no longer big just in Finland we're now in the echelons of India
1: now the real trick is keeping that <laughs> <laughs> Going. <laughs> hoping, <laughs> hoping that Vivek, uh, lasts more than a week.
0: <laughs> that would be, that would be ideal. Definitely ideal. So thank you to all of our new followers. We do always appreciate them. And, um, that's what we got there. Are, would you like to go ahead and jump directly into the news since we've got a lot, a lot of movies to talk about this, this week? We must. All right. Well, then here we go, folks. It's the news i hey. And again, due to the sheer amount of uh movies we're gonna be covering this week, because we do literally have six of them, even though one is just kind of a brief recap, uh, I'm only gonna do one news piece this week, and here it is from variety.com by way of Maani Kachatorian and Dave McCarney, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them to be five film franchise. That's right. The ever expanding Harry Potter universe just got larger. The Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them spinoff will be a five film franchise, J.K. Rowling said, at Warner Brothers fan event in London. We only quote, we always knew that it was going to be more than one movie. We knew that from the start, so we set a trilogy as sort of a placeholder because we knew there would be more than one movie. But I've done I've now done the plotting properly, so we're pretty sure it's going to be five movies. End quote. Uh, this is uh Rowling's first script uh as she wrote the screenplay for fantastic beat uh beasts and uh the rest of the article from there really just kind of goes into um who's going to be producing the second movie and so on um and more about what's going into the production of these movies and of course the 10 minute preview that was shown at the event that rolling was out there in london etc cetera, etc cetera. so there is plenty more to read from this article and i do recommend that you check it out again from variety.com and uh i i you know i i i think you really should check this one out cuz there's a lot of information in there but the key stuff in there for me is that they took what clearly probably could have just been one maybe two films and said look we got to make at least three but fuck that, let's make five. Um I don't know that I'm really down with this decision. Um, Because all it means is that we are, at least for the foreseeable future, never going to get out of the goddamn loop of just tentpole movies. Nothing but tentpole movies coming out. Um Yeah. I don't know. What do you think, Tim? Are you as distressed at hearing this news as I am?
1: No, I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed the Harry Potter flicks, and I've heard really nothing but... What the hell is
0: wrong with you? It's terrible. <laughs> Did I not mute my microphone? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> no, seriously. I know, look, I know there are tons of people out there. Uh, clearly millions upon millions of people who loved the Harry Potter movies and everything like that one or two it's just i was i was <laughs> not one of them i mean and look i get it you can't make you can't take everything from a book and put it to a movie i understand that but even with that i mean these movies the vast majority of these movies were just not good and they haven't even aged very well. And believe me, I've been watching them recently because I'm going through the books with my daughter and watching the movies as soon as we're done with the books.
1: Now, well I, I should say that I never read the books.
0: And there and see that's and there and again, there's a whole legion of people who never read the books and have only ever known the movies. And I don't even think I think this was just kind of a spin-off book, like just kind of an offshoot book that she wrote. So it's not like it's even um or maybe it was the the Bard's Tales. That was the offshoot book she did. I can't remember if this one was a legitimate book at one point or not. But, um, so I, I, I get that this one is more just for the movies. So maybe that will be better. Um, but I, I don't know. They just never really got the movies right. Even the three of the eight movies that I can honestly say I enjoyed. Um, so anyways, I'm sorry. I totally cut you off. I apologize. What do you got, sir? Uh, what, 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 what would you like to say about this? And then please just jump directly into your news. Well,
1: I mean, like I said, like I, I never read the books. And I thoroughly enjoyed most of the movies other than two and four, I think. But I, I found enjoyment in all the others. I, I think what I'm looking forward to the most or the most, with Fantastic Beasts is that, I believe, David Yates directed it. So they're bringing in a veteran from the Harry Potter film-verse to come over and helm the new movie. And on top of that, they're bringing over some of the same crew. So it's it's people that are familiar with the films and what uh, jk rowling once i guess so I, i'm looking forward to it i think it it could be a lot of fun especially since we've really not had another movie like harry potter since the last harry potter movie and i i like those movies a lot because they're all very good natured i mean despite if you prefer the books over the movies there's no arguing that the movies are well made they're well thought out for the most part they're well acted the characters really come through uh, it's well produced and it's a good natured series and we, we really don't have a lot of that stuff as much even more i mean even with like i mean star wars for the new star wars movie even that had its own problems but i, I mean I, I i mean i'm not saying that fantastic beasts is automatically going to be great in my mind i'm not saying that whatsoever but i i'm kind of looking forward to it and i kind of hope it will be you know, just a wonderful little holiday or big holiday movie. So, and I don't know if you've checked out the score or not, but the score sounds pretty cool. And so I'm looking forward to hearing what else they have in store as well. So I'm going to jump into my two pieces of news. First up, from the Hollywood the room director Tommy Wiseau and star Greg Sistero reunite for new movie. Yes, you heard that right. Room Part 2. No, I'm just kidding. This is written by Rebecca Ford, and it says this. Wiseau, known for directing and starring in what is often considered one of the worst movies ever made, and Sistero appear together 15 years later for Best Friends. And there is a... Oh, what is that called around the R? That an Nymphomaniac, they used it to make a vagina in the title...
0: The parentheses.
1: There you go. Thank you. It's been (laughs) nearly 15 years since Tommy Wiseau directed and starred in cult classic The Room, which became known by many as one of the worst films of all time due to its odd style of filmmaking, awkward acting performances, and inconsistent narrative structure. Now, Wiseau is reuniting with The Room star Greg Sestero in a new movie called Best Friends. Here... The Hollywood Reporter exclusively debuts a trailer for the project, which follows a man, Sistero, who meets a lonely mortician, Wazoo, who takes him on a wild journey. I called him Wazoo, but I I meant Wazoo. Wazoo. The film came about when Sistero wrote a story that was inspired by a road trip he took with Wazoo in 2003. He brought the role of the mortician to Wazoo, who responded positively to the character, saying, quote, I think it's a role that will really spotlight Tommy's unique talent and charisma while also setting up an unexpected and exciting reunion in quote Sister Hotel's THR. They quietly shot the film directed by Gary Fong in August and September in Los Angeles and Canada, keeping it mostly a secret until the first trailer. The distribution plan is still in the works, but the filmmakers are aiming for a theatrical release. After watching Best Friends, Your Mind Will Find Paradise, says Wazo, whose unique accent and mannerisms can be seen in the first trailer. The project is wrapped by Matt Lespig at Original Artists and Shelley Serpin at Serpin Mayershon in Coghill. Meyer, Meyer song in Coghill. Yeah. So uh, I highly recommend you guys do check out this trailer. Again, they premiered it here on the dot The article, the room director, Tommy Wiseau and Greg Sestero reunite for new movie. Matt, you watched the trailer. What, 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 what do you think about it? Are you, is it something that you're excited for? Did it really kind of wet the whistle of the possibility of it being a room two Yes and no. At
0: first, when you mentioned it, I had seen the article and then uh, I, when, and when I say I, I had seen the article, um, I want to stress the word seen, uh, because I did not read the article. <laughs> um, I just figured I would wait until it, you know, went down. It went the way of the dodo, much like the room and you had brought it up against night. And I was like, no, no, please, no. And then I, relented to at least watching the trailer which as you guys know i generally really don't like to do but morbid curiosity got the better of me um and to its credit uh the trailer does not seem to give away everything which is really impressive for a three-minute trailer um and it's not directed by wiseau so I will at least give it a shot. Although it's hilarious because they totally sound the same. Both of them. They totally sound the same. So all I'm thinking to myself is, I just love these trailers. You're my favorite person to watch trailers with. Oh, that's great. I mean, I don't, yeah, it's fantastic.
1: But I think what got me were the quotes at the end of the movie, like from Ain't It Cool News and yada yada yada, like this dark tale will take you on a an engrossing journey or something like that. And I kind of wonder, like, what if this movie turns out to be good? Like, I might actually be disappointed. I don't... Look, I'm willing to say that the story is good.
0: I'm willing to even concede that the writing might be decent. I don't know, considering but,
1: apparently the guy lost his family to ninjas. Well,
0: uh, again, I'm willing to <laughs> accept satire and everything. But um what I am not convinced of is the acting. The acting still looks atrocious. So that in and of itself can ruin the movie. Now, there was a triple threat in the room, which had terrible story, terrible writing, and terrible acting. Um, You know, it just turned out to be the perfect storm of So Bad It's Good. This one seems like it might just have terrible acting in it. And that's not going to make the movie delightful. So, we'll see. I'm at least interested. It's, you know, my curiosity is peaked. So.
1: Peaked it is. All right, to wrap up my news here, it's kind of like a part one, part two. <laughs> uh, first part via the rap How THX, that's the Lucasfilm Sound Company, is making gold standard sound for virtual reality. Written by Matt Donnelly. I'm just going to read a little bit here. I thought this was kind of cool. THX is on a mission to bring dynamic sound to the virtual reality experience. Quote, What we're primarily focused on is the acoustic environment for all VR. All you're getting now in VR is quits the sound in the middle of your head. End quote. CEO Tahamed Taylor told The Wrap just hours after his company was acquired by gaming company Razer. Quote, In the VR space, we feel like the headsets... And being able to play with those, that's been solved. Getting high-end experiences is kind of evolving. We're trying to figure out what works and doesn't work. One of the things we're trying to address is, how do you create an immersive sound environment for virtual reality? End quote. THX sees opportunity in VR, which up until now has relied on a more traditional sound system, through customer headsets like... Facebook's Oculus Rift, and Samsung VR. Amon Taylor used the example of having a 360-degree environment where, say, a character behind you and to the right may speak, but their voice registers as if the person is next to you. For users, it's a weird experience, he said. VR for scripted content and gaming is not without its challenges, despite exciting examples of how applied VR might look. Many early users have reported experiencing motion sickness. Quote, getting over the hurdles from both a storytelling and gaming playing is going to be critical to stop inducing nausea, End quote. Ahmad Taylor said. Lucas formed THX in 1983 as a kind of quality assurance system, lending its name as a certification to cinemas and later home theaters, car audio systems, and video game consoles, among others. End all quotes there. Uh, This is kind of cool. I haven't really delved into the VR thing yet. I I bought the VR Cardboard, the Google Cardboard, and that left a dent in my nose because of the cardboard just digging in the top of my nose for about four days. So until I can afford a proper Oculus Rift or Oculus Shaft or whatever... But if I know that TH is kind of trying to do something with the sound to make it more immersive and even better, I think I might actually hold out until that comes into fruition, because I think this will be pretty cool. And then lastly, again, dealing with virtual reality here... Matt, I think you're going to love this. This might actually get you to to get into, uh, or or maybe your wife, I don't know, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey more so. Deadline.com, James Foley says Fifty Shades Darker VR Experience has changed how he sees filmmaking. Director James Foley said that virtual reality technology is being used in the marketing materials for his upcoming Fifty Shades Darker and that it has led him to think in new ways about filmmaking, saying that it provides the ultimate liberation from both actor and director in opening up a 360 degree space. Saying, quote, Yeah, there's marketing materials for behind the scenes. Fifty Shades of Darker Stuff, where after we finished shooting for the day, the actors would stay over and VR people would recreate a fast mill of the scene, end quote, fully told an audience today at the VR on the Lot confab at Paramount. Quote, My own personal instinct is that cinema is going to move to VR because it's an extension of the visual language, end quote, he said. Quote, For myself, watching the material they generated expanded my brain, End quote. Foley, whose recent credits include Netflix's House of Cards and Fox's Wayward Pines, is attached to the next two installments of the movie franchise, Darker and Fifty Shades Freed, with Dakota Johnson and James Dornan, and yada, 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 yada. And it goes on from there. And uh, this article, again, Deadline Hollywood, James Foley says Fifty Shades Darker VR experience has changed how he sees filmmaking. This one was written by Matthew Grobar. Matt, what do you think about this? Do you, do you think that the idea of using VR as a promotional, as promotional material for a movie like Fifty Shades Darker would make somebody, say, like you or a reluctant husband give in to seeing that with their wife, with their partner, with their girlfriend, with whoever?
0: I don't know. I mean, who doesn't say no to VR boobs, right? Um honestly i would say that this is there, no I, I can't see how this would be any more um acceptable for people who are already not inclined to see this stuff um i do think it's interesting that they're trying to bridge that gap so quickly but i mean honestly all you have to remember is that japan japan has these tech expos all the time and they have both standard tech expos and then adult tech expos. And there's GIFs floating around all the time of people um, using VR headsets and, you know, touching mannequins. But, of course, if you're looking at it in-game, it's like they're touching, you know, anime chicks or whatever who are all nude or whatever. Um, I think this is just, like, a weird offshoot Americanized version of that. <laughs> I... I do not see it as something that will take off. I don't know. Maybe it's just a way to introduce dudes to VR porn. Uh, I, you know, I guess maybe that's what they're trying to do here.
1: Well, a lot of studios have been doing more of this VR stuff. Like Sony, we had one for, what was it? The walk where you were actually walking across the two towers and then we had one i think earlier for uh for ghostbusters but opposed to the walk ghostbusters was used more as like hey let's get people to buy the dvd or buy the blu-ray the walk was kind of more of like a niche type of thing that the, they would take to like different movie theaters and whatnot across the country and in a way it was used as promotion just the idea of it being vr but not really the simulation itself I don't know. It's weird. I think all this just kind of falls into, in my opinion, what we were kind of talking about every other time we talk about virtual reality, is that it's still kind of a niche thing, maybe maybe slightly out of the niche realm by now, since I think more people are kind of delving into it. But it's still kind of something that I, I really don't know how many people you're... Do you know a lot of people that do VR? I mean, I have one friend in
0: Texas same one friend uh and uh, that was actually uh, it's rob uh, do you remember rob yeah of course if it was a if if it was affordable um or or if i had the disposable income to do it and several other people are like that then we would probably get it as well
1: but so with rob what you should do is without telling him get him to go
0: see this yeah yeah
1: yeah have him <laughs> have him or download this onto his on his thing and have him watch it and then you can just tell what he thinks about it. I mean, if he didn't like it and wants to get away from Fifty Shades of Grey, this will prove how much he hates Fifty Shades of Grey. Because if he doesn't like it, then he'll automatically take it off. But if he's getting into it, you'll see other stuff happening.
0: Indeed. All right, very good. Well, then, that, I believe, will close out the news. And uh, do, again, we've got all these wonderful. Uh, movies to talk about next week uh so we have no bonus segment this week but next week for our hollywood horror cast um as our annual halloween episode has become to be known we are going to be doing a copycat throwdown of epic proportions i mean this is like a, a, a copycat super slam uh, because we're doing not just a two movie copycat throwdown, but a three movie copycat throwdown next week. We're gonna be doing 1931's Dracula versus the Spanish edition of 1931's Dracula, which was filmed, um, at, literally at the same time they would, uh, the day shift would be doing Dracula for the US and the night shift would be doing Dracula in Spanish. And there are many people who have said that the Spanish version is the superior film. So we're going to be comparing those two, along with uh, uh, an upstart, Bram Stoker's Dracula from 1992. So we're going to be comparing all three of those together and doing it that way. But um, in the meantime, we are just going to get straight to the movies. And here we go, folks. It's...
2: I've opened this place again there's been too much trouble here did you know that a young boy drowned the year before those two others were killed the counselors weren't paying any attention they were making love while that young boy drowned his name was Jason I don't want to scare anyone but I'm gonna give it to you straight about Jason his body was never recovered from the lake after he drowned And if you listen to the old-timers in town, they'll tell you he's still out there. Some sort of demented creature. Surviving in the wilderness. Full-grown by now. Stalking. Stealing what he needs. Living off wild animals and vegetation. Some folks claim they've even seen him. Right in this area. The girl who survived that night at Camp Blood, that Friday the 13th, disappeared two months later, vanished. Blood was everywhere. No one knows what happened to her. Legend has it that Jason saw his mother beheaded that night, and he took his revenge. A revenge that he'll continue to seek if anyone ever enters his wilderness again. And By now, I guess you all know, we're the first to return here. Five years five long years he's been dormant and he's hungry i was working the day that it happened preparing meals here i was the cook jason should have been watched every minute he was he wasn't a very good swimmer we can go now dear i am jason Jason was my son, and today is his birthday. Oh, I couldn't let them open this place again. Could I? Not after what happened.
0: So, first up in our finale here, let's see, we've got, we've got Jason Goes to Hell, the final Friday, but not really. Jason in space. Jason in space. You guys remember that with the Muppet Show when they would do pigs in space? That's where I got that idea for the Jason X thing. And then last, um, and definitely not least at least, Hmm. I love English because that sentence made sense. uh Friday the Thirteenth, two thousand nine edition, the reboot, and finally, we will also be talking about a couple of movies from the theaters. We've got Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children and Birth of a Nation. So here we go, closing out uh, or the beginning of the closeout of the Friday the Thirteenth movies. We will begin with Jason Goes to Hell, the final Friday uh let's see here so that is a 1993 uh supernatural slasher film it's directed by adam marcus and this is the final film actually um that let's see if i remember correctly yeah this is this is the last film that has um uh what's his face hotter uh kane uh kane hotter as uh, no he did jason, jason x no he didn't yeah he did did he oh he did that's right oh it was freddy versus jason and friday the 13th the remake thank you okay there you go you're right my bad you're right i'm just not with it this evening guys okay so the second to last movie that kane Hodder does jason in was just testing you Was testing you that's right all right so <laughs> um all right so this is the this is the one uh what i when i think about this for um of this let's assume that uh friday the 13th a new beginning let's say that we that that it was done right and that's what jason goes to hell is because once again we do legit straight up kill jason only they don't fuck around this time um they like go after him with the power and the resources and the backing of the u.s fucking government because government has said we can't have everybody poops jason running around we gotta kill this motherfucker and so they do they literally fucking blow him to bits now amazingly they're able to like um uh, nearly blow him, like, incinerate him through bullet fire and bombs and shit and grenades and whatnot, and yet somehow his heart is perfectly intact, which is weird. Um, and it is through this heart that, um... Jason, the spirit of Jason is able to possess others with the spirit, with the rage of Jason to kill and kill. And he's ultimately going to try and track down his, uh, remaining family with which if he possesses them, then he becomes Jason incarnate once more. And as we all say, shenanigans ensue. And here we go. Now, um, I, I, I do firmly believe that this one is what I think A New Beginning was going for. Um, it's just, this was a lot better executed. Now, when I say that it's a lot better executed, I'm comparing it against um, A New Beginning, which got a 1.25 for me, um, and bouncing it off of the abysmal zero-fucking-star Jason Takes Boat ride so um it made it a lot easier to find good things to like about this movie <laughs> and what i thought was interesting was that they um was that they actually tried to bring an idea into fruition that would both explain jason as truly undead as something that simply can't be stopped but um, in terms of the idea, in terms of the spirit, in terms of what Jason means to this mythos, and yet at the same time have a legit counterbalance to that that says, no, but wait, he actually can be stopped. Um, and, and while the story in and of itself plays out in a somewhat booby filled and stupid filled way, um, there are, some redeeming qualities to the film and overall it's not a great movie but i will say i can give it a 2.25 at this point in time it's gone it's already clear that it's gone as far as it can go or it's gone as the, it's, it's gone as far as it'll ever go and any future ideas um in this existing path will not really be anything worthwhile um so 2.25, Jason shows up through the, through, through his spirit doing Jason things, just Jasony things. And, um, hashtag just jason things. And, uh, you know, he, he, he's gotta die. And he did. Kind of. What do you got,
1: Tim? Until he's in space, 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 space. Jason in space. All right, there you go. So with Jason Goes to Hell, I remember because since I, I, I'm a, I'm younger, a little bit younger than Matthias, I remember going to the old video store and seeing the poster of this movie. It's Jason with the it was like a silvery, shiny sil or chrome. I guess it was chrome hockey mask. And uh, the back palette was, like, fire, and it was the silver-chrome mask, and it had this demon creature slithering out of the eyes with the mouth and just, like, hissing at you. And I remember seeing it as a kid and being like, God, I really want to watch that horror movie, but there was no way my parents would have let me watch it. None of my other friends were allowed to watch it either, surprisingly. And so, for many years, I've always wanted to see that movie, until I realized, oh, it's another friday the 13th movie i hear they're all bad there's really no point for me to watch it so since we were reviewing all these movies i was actually kind of looking forward to seeing this one and living a childhood dream of mine a little five-year-old tim six-year-old tim seeing that jason goes to hell poster and just really wanting to see it and i did see it and this is what i thought about it So Sean S. Cunningham, the original producer, uh, the, the director of the first Friday the 13th movie, returned to the Jason franchise with this film. He didn't direct it, but he did produce it. He wanted to assemble a team and try to reinvent the series. And so he wanted to re not necessarily reinvent the series, but Cunningham wanted to bring back or return to the themes of family and mythology. That's why we're introduced to Jason's family in this movie. Jason's sister, whatever her name was, is in it. And the whole deal is that with Jason being dead, he's trying to find his sister to resurrect himself. Because he's only Jason for the first six minutes, and then he blows up, and then his being his spirit i guess gets transferred from body to body to body and at the very end when his sister is dead he gets transferred into his sister's body and he resurrects as you know the the, the jason we all know and love but the thing is is that you really don't understand it when you're watching the movie the movie just doesn't make a whole lot of sense and in fact the movie is pretty damn bad but it's more laugh at it entertaining than say uh, 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 Friday the 13th, A New Beginning, where it's just horribly bad, and pretty much offensively bad. But this one, not, not so much offensive, more so just so bad. It's pretty entertaining. A lot of things I didn't understand. the The opening of this movie is basically a ruse to basically draw... Jason out of hiding in the woods to come and attack this girl so the military or army can can bombard him, him him with bullets and bombs. And so you have this girl who's who's an FBI agent. She's driving around, of course she's the sexy brunette she pulls it she gets into the the cabin and of course she undresses she gets naked she gets in the shower she's making herself super vulnerable like all the other women in all the other movies and yet you find out again she is this fbi agent but there was really no point of her to get naked and to do the things that she did to lure jason out because i really don't think jason really gives a shit. What you're doing, he's just going to come after you if you're alone, if there's only two of you, and if you're in those woods. He's going to come after you. So it doesn't matter if you're naked. It doesn't matter if you're screwing somebody. He's just going to come after you regardless. By this time in the franchise, that's already been established. You don't have to be the sexy sex fiend because you're going to die anyways if you're in his path. I thought the story was pretty good, uh, very inventive. I think if you were going to reinvent the series in some way, this would this was a good way to do it. It was something different. It was very much like watching the Freddy Krueger movies, where every couple of the movies was just drastically different from the other. And this was kind of one of them in the franchise, very much like part, was it five or six, with Crispin Glover... Or, or, no, 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 I think that was part four with Crispin Glover, where that movie felt a little bit different, but then it felt different again when it was Jason Lives. You know, that was, like, what we were talking about uh, last week. I was saying that that movie felt more like a, a gothic, old-school horror film type of movie, a creature feature. And this one was more of, like, what I remember watching as a kid in the early 90s, like, on Saturday afternoon TV, network TV, where it was just, like, this very basic lo-fi suspense thriller horror that because you're not spending the money on fancy special effects there really wasn't that much more to the movie to spend money on you know so this is what i got from this movie and it was i like the low fineness to it but the characters are definitely what got me uh, you you have the bounty hunter guy. I, I forget his name. I remember he was on a TV show like 21 Jump Street or a different stroke. I, I think it was 21 Jump Street. But I, I really didn't understand what his deal was. I know they were trying to make him intimidating. They were trying to make his character creepy and untrustworthy. But there is a scene where one, where they were, he was in jail next to this other guy, the hero, the male hero of the movie is in jail right next to him. And the male hero is trying to get information from the guy because the bounty hunter, he knows what's going on. He knows how to get rid of Jason. Yeah, and again, he somehow knows that Jason is transferring from one body to the other and he's on the path to resurrect himself through his sister. So the bounty hunter knows all this stuff and the kids are like, Tell me I need to know, I need to know. Well the guy's like, Well I need payment. Well I don't have any cash and he's like, Oh I don't want any cash payment. Hold out your hands. And so the guy holds out holds out his hands and basically as payment he's gonna break this guy's fingers you know two by two or three by three and the guy keeps falling for it like he's he really wants all this information that honestly it seems like the the bounty hunter just made up and he's just gonna keep getting his fingers broken because the bounty hunter has this weird power control fetish i guess and It was just very convenient for the guy, I guess, for the character to be that way. It just, it worked too well, and there was really nothing to really set any of that up, other than, you know, what you got from these scenes. And that's pretty much all I have to say about this movie, it's just a lot of random stuff. Like they find the necrom the Necronomicon, the Book of the Dead from Evil Dead in Jason Voorhees' childhood home, and so that kind of hints at a possible Ash and Jason cra- a crossover at, at some point. I really like the transforming of Jason, the resurrection of Jason. I thought that was pretty cool. And then what happens to the body? For example, like whenever one human gets infected by the Jason spirit and then they have to transfer it to another human. What happens to their body whenever they don't have the Jason spirit inside of them is really cool. They just start melting and it was a really cool, gory effect. And this is kind of like a return to some of the gore stuff that we all knew and love from the original films. But then again, a lot of the gore effects just didn't make any sense for example jason would bonk two heads together and their faces would be peeled off like their cheeks would be peeled off you know sometimes it was just like hardcore gore for the sake of it being hardcore gore gore, which doesn't make it good gore so i give jason goes to hell the final friday two out of five i you know i i could even venture up to 2.25 but the movie just really isn't that good so, two out of five for me. All right.
0: Well, next up, we have Jason X, the science fiction slasher film. Uh, this is directed by James Isaac. And uh, this one is the final Kane Hodder appearance for uh, Jason Voorhees. Okay, so now, again, we have uh, Jason, uh, who gets captured again by the government. Proving that even when you have the backing of the government, they can't do anything right. Uh, <laughs> um, and gets held at uh, a research facility by Crystal Lake there. And, um, <laughs> and then in the ultimate Futurama-esque, uh, actions here, Jason is cryogenically frozen, um, he's uh well he's put into a stasis the stasis thing doesn't work out because people are trying to rob the body or something like that or research some competing thing or whatever i can't remember what it is uh but ultimately he does get cryogenically frozen in a pod with another dude and now 455 years later (laughs) Uh, these people are waving at John Travolta and Battlefield Earth. Um, <laughs> there's now Earth Two. Because <laughs> you gotta have, you just gotta absolutely have the most original names ever, right? I mean, <laughs> and it's not even Roman numeral; it's just two T W L. Um, <laughs> man, why didn't I just go cute and call it Earth Junior? I don't know. Anyway so and here we're now recreating the typical students you know partying student thing right now we're back to the old i i guess i don't know i guess they're more co- collegiate than high school or whatever but but either way um you've got a whole bunch of students here and then of course they stumble across jason cryogenically frozen jason and just like the star trek next generation episode where they find the cryogenically frozen people and think hey we should unfreeze them they look at this whole scene of cryogenically frozen jason and this dude he was fighting and they go hey this looks good we should totally (laughs) unfreeze them so uh, um we we get uh so they think jason's dead you know, because they need some way to not, to make sure that he has a way to come back unchecked. Um, and they leave him in the morgue, uh, because as we know in the movies where he's made it to the morgue, all, I think three of them at this point, um, <laughs> he's gonna stay there. And, uh, they unfreeze the other dude. Jason, of course, comes back and, shenanigans ensue uh and when those shenanigans almost pan out in favor of the of the people uh we then get cyber jason <laughs> danger danger jason Voorhees, danger um <laughs> U- uber jason is what it's he's credited uber as. jason thank you yeah <laughs> god uh I, you see you hear me I laughing am now Uber jason exactly you know you hear me laughing now, but that's because I can sum it up for you in like two and a half minutes. And you don't have to put up with 92 minutes of this fucking retarded bullshit. Um, the movie is truly... It, it 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 truly is a terrible movie. I will say that due to just the sheer lunacy of it, along with uh, what Tim reminded me were a couple of really good kills in this movie. Uh, there is a T2... You know, Terminator 2 style kill in this film. Um, I can't say it's a zero fucking star movie because of that. And again, you hear me laughing. Um, but I can't give it a proper score either because it's just a terrible, terrible movie. So I will just call it a zero. Star movie. This is zero stars. They should have been done. This movie was made as a placeholder because uh, Freddy vs. Jason was still in development hell. And you know what? They should have just let the nostalgia live on. That's all I'm going to say. Zero stars. What do you got, Tim? Uber Jason.
1: I am Uber Jason. I I like the frozen head kill. I'm going to start off some positives with this one. I like the frozen head kill. She's in the... The the cold shit whatever it's called and Jason picks her head up and chunks it against a wall and it just cracks open. it was that was a really cool uh, uh, gore effect because you really they, the, the franchise kind of got away from those inventive gore effects that didn't have to be edited out due to the mpaA's pitching. I uh, actually I like the Uber Jason, his creation and the preceding events. Though it is terribly sci-fi cliched and tropey, like, oh no, we gotta do this to save the ship. Oh no, we gotta blow the bridge to get to the pod. Oh no, we gotta, we have to split up and set the dynamite on, on, on these various bridges so that we can dislodge ourselves away from the main ship so we can get away from it before it explodes or whatever. Incredibly tropey. I've, I was just waiting for them to run out of air. And then I think that would have really sealed the deal. But again, with Uber Jason, it, I thought it was incredibly inventive because at the end, of, at the beginning of the movie, they introduced the audience to these little, I, I think they were ants, they called them, that regenerated dead tissue and cells and whatnot. So that is what brought both the the female, that the heroine, the final girl, back to life. It also helped one guy who was horribly, you know, beaten up by Jason. Um, it, it made him better, completely better. So it, it was set up to where something like that a regeneration could have happened. And since Jason wasn't brought back from his catatonic frozen state with those ants, I just wasn't necessarily expecting that to happen. Though I knew he was not dead the first time they took him out. I knew something had happened. But it was just kind of cool how they edited all that together. Like, you think that they're actually making some progress in getting out of the ship. But at the same time, Jason is regenerating and becoming Uber Jason. And at that point, you know, guys, it's been a few movies now where I've kind of given up trying to find real art in these movies because i don't think they're trying to i'm sure some of them are trying to make real art but i think the people the producers i know paramount paramount knew they were not making true art so i'm just gonna i've just tried to been embracing it as much as i could and i am i was able to embrace more uh get more out of the last half of this movie than i did the first half of this movie which is where Uber Jason does come in. And I really liked how all that happened with the whole hologram thing since that was another thing they established earlier is that they have holograms 300, 400 years in the future. So one of the holograms they used to try to distract Jason was one of Camp Crystal Lake in the 80s. And so that's when you see the campers in the boobs and all that stuff. And I just thought that was all kind of, I don't want to necessarily say smart, but interesting to say the least but again even as a sci-fi movie it's incredibly tropey and the characters get so effing annoying and even though it takes place again so many years in the future it feels like an early 90s movie. I don't remember, or a late 90s movie. I don't remember if you mentioned this uh, a little while, or when you were talking, mad or not. But the movie was shot in 1999, but didn't come out until 2001. And this movie definitely looks like it was made in 1999. I, I think this movie would have been received better if it did come out in 1999 as a sci-fi movie. So I give Jason X a little bit, a slightly better rating than Matt, but it's still not a good rating. 1.5 out of 5. I, I I just, I find this really funny that we're making kind of comments like, you know, it's it's slightly better than Matt, but yet it's still not good and we're we're building up to it and people might think, oh, they're going to give it a 3 or 3.5 because how much they're expounding on it and it becomes a 1.5 or a 0. 0.5. And... Honestly, that's just how this franchise is. It's ridiculous, even though I've enjoyed watching a number of these movies. It's, they're incredibly difficult to review and give a rating, too, because of what they are and how they were made. But Jason X, 1.5 out of 5 for me.
0: Alright, and with the Freddy vs. Jason, uh, recap real briefly here, um, back in October of last year, episode 149, uh, was when we covered Freddy vs. Jason because we were doing the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Um, and, uh, I gave it a three, Tim gave it a 1.5, um, and I, I, uh, definitely would say that this is, for me, still a likable enough movie. <clears throat> um, and, I'm glad that they did this because at least this one puts Jason back in kind of his allows him to relive the glory days of the franchise, so to speak, Um and also provides a really unique way for. Freddie and Jason to interact, which I thought was kind of nice as well. Uh you get something on Freddie's home turf, you get something on Jason's home turf, you get to see Jason do what Jason does best, but um Freddie gets some good old licks in as well. Um I uh So I I I think that um for me it's good staying in a three. Um and that's pretty much it. Uh, I I mean, if you if you're gonna do anything, if you've been watching all these movies, just skip Jason X and watch Freddy versus Jason. Uh, you know, I think that would probably be the easiest way to go. Um, final thoughts on Freddy versus Jason, there, Tim? If any?
1: <laughs> no, I, unfortunately. Well, looking back on it, I can see now that it was more of a Jason movie, really, than it was a Freddy movie even though I think Freddy kind of wins the battle throughout the whole movie. So I I think looking at at it in that light, I can enjoy it more so, but it's still a 1.5. You have the director, who was a martial arts action director from Asia, who who didn't like, who kind of, I think, despised both of these franchises and the slasher genre in general, direct this movie, and he didn't belong there. And so I think... Both aspects of the movie faltered, in my opinion, due to that. So I'm just going to stick, I'm sticking with 1.5.
0: Cool beans. All right. Well, then last, uh, and in my opinion, not least, we have Friday the 13th, The Reboot from 2009. This is the American slasher film. Uh, It's directed by Marcus Nispel, uh, produced by Michael Bay, among others, Andrew Form, Brad Fuller, and Sean S. Cunningham and uh this one actually is uh it's basically meant to be a reboot uh but it's also meant to be a reimagining of kind of the first three to four movies which i thought was really cool um and so what we have here is you're seeing this uh kind of from jason's perspective and you're you're experiencing the movie at first to kind of give you an idea of what goes into creating something that becomes jason Voorhees, and that is of course watching his mother getting uh beheaded by a camp counselor while while the mom is on her rampage and so we can now um fast forward um 30 years and then we're got kids coming back to crystal lake and what have you and jason ends up of course going on his rampage and stuff he also unlike the first three films um up and until the third film he gets his hockey mask almost immediately uh the hockey mask by the way was designed after the uh from the third movie they they little cosmetic altering and stuff but the actual base of the mask there so they really tried to honor the heritage of the film uh of the film series while bringing it and making it fresh um you'll note that that's um i mean there are people who argued that it was a token effort but it's a lot less white um in its casting than um other jason movies and or the friday the 13th movies so there's and i don't know i think there was a there was a real true brutality to the kills that was missing from the original series uh, outside of that though, of course, you've still got the sex and you've still got the pretty bad acting. But I thought that the story was really, really well done this time. And I really like that they tried their best to pay homage to the franchise, but make it something that kids today would go and see. So while I am definitely in the minority on this film, much like I was with the Nightmare on Elm Street reboot last year. I really like this one. Um, well, I, I can't say I really like this one, but I definitely more than just liked it. Um, it's got a lot of things going for it, but again, the acting is bad. And of course, you do have the, um, tropisms of the sex and, you know, the creeper going after all the kids in the woods. Um, but that's what makes Friday the 13th Friday the 13th. So, at the end of the day, I give this one 3.5 out of 5. You should see this one. Because I only gave the first one a 3. See what I'm saying? See what I mean? All right. (laughs) 3.5 out of 5. Go ahead.
1: (laughs) So, if you've been keeping up, Matt saved the best for last. So, you had to wait this long for Matt to (laughs) wholeheartedly recommend. Uh, No, actually, you you liked the, the telekinetic one. The, the Jason Carey one.
0: So. Yeah, but, but again, they copped out on the end of that one. So I ended up giving it a 2.75. Oh, okay. No,
1: yeah, I, thought went, you, I thought I mean, you, I it. mean, just, just for rate. a
0: fun recap, it went three, three, 2.5, 2.25, 1.25, two, 2.75, zero, 2.25, zero, 3.5. <laughs> oh, and I guess. Wow. The what, three, what a great franchise. The, the three, four, <laughs> um, the that, that, that placeholder 3 for Freddy versus Jason since it wasn't officially <laughs> reviewed this time but yeah so anyways no but seriously though i would definitely say give this one a shot especially if you've just been listening to us and haven't been watching the other ones um i i i can honestly say this one is for me anyways worth giving a worth giving a shot
1: did you watch the killer cut or the original theatrical cut
0: uh original theatrical cut
1: Okay, maybe I probably should have watched that one, but I was able to uh, borrow the movie and I was able to watch the killer cut because I heard it had more of the gore effects in it, just more stuff added to it and it was highly recommended for me to watch it. So this is the Michael Bay movie that was made due to the success of Michael Bay's remake of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre that came out in and I think yeah it came out like a few months after Freddy vs. Jason and that movie did incredibly well so Friday the 13th came out it's a little bit crisper to look at however it's still that Michael crappy dumb Michael Bay color grading where everything looks green and sweaty and gross and hot and I'm not talking about attractive hot but like temperature wise hot and not only just because that they're and I know it's not just because they shot this in Bastrop Texas opposed to like Canada or you know the New York New Jersey the East Coast or wherever but they actually shot this in Bastrop Texas so they probably didn't even need that really crappy dumb Michael Bay color grading because they would probably would have been hotter as shit anyway I I thought the sex scenes and again I watched the killer cut I thought the sex scenes were a little too much they they really lingered like the sex scene when the girls riding the dude in the bedroom the really douchey cocky guy that one just kept going on and on. And that I think that was like a six-minute ordeal. That was including the cutting back and forth to all the characters. But it just kept going on and on and on. And the guy is making the same stupid comments. And I, I just kind of got the feeling that it was because I was watching the extended cut. Because I think it was only extended by like six minutes or so. And I kind of, I'm getting, I, I feel like maybe they just extended the nudity a lot. And the nudity that they did show, I was a little, I don't, it wasn't like offensive per se, but I think I would have been uncomfortable watching it with my girlfriend, even back in 2009, seven years ago, I would have been awkward watching it with a girlfriend then, even. But then again, that's, that's just me. I did not like the first half of the movie. I thought it was cliched. I thought it was dumb. I thought the characters were god-awful. Uh, the writing was awful. The comedy was awful. I didn't laugh once. I, it felt like everybody was improvising badly. And I don't think that was the case. I think somebody actually wrote that shit. And it's and it sucks. I, in fact, these are the same two guys that wrote Freddy vs. Jason. The one thing that off the bat that I liked about this movie is that the two writers adjusted the tone of the film. So it's a little bit darker. It's a little bit more character driven per se from jason's point of view and i kind of like that a lot i thought jason was a little bit more intimidating with this one because you saw there was more to him than him just being a cold-blooded killer of 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 teenagers you know and i like seeing that and in in the top of it jason um actually was the one killing people in this one, unlike the original film. They didn't want to bring the mother back, for example. They wanted it just to remake the part one of Friday the 13th, but with actually Jason doing the killing. I like Jason's environment. I like the idea of being inside Jason's environment, his home. It makes a little bit more sense him having these tunnels all through Camp Crystal Lake because... How else could he just pop out of nowhere and be yards upon yards upon yards in front of somebody when they're running away from him and he could easily kill them? So the idea of having these elaborate underground tunnels makes a little bit more sense. And I like that. I like seeing all that stuff. And you see more of that after all the morons get killed for the most part. And when the movie actually starts picking up and the story starts picking up, it, it becomes kind of fun to watch and kind of cool. With seeing Jason's environment, though, it begs to be asked, why haven't the police found his shack? Why haven't the police come across his tunnels? You would think if the main, the girl, the brother, you know, the, the, the sister of the guy who's, who's out looking for her, apparently the best detectives were out looking for her, and they, they didn't come across any of his stuff. And so stuff, things like that just kind of was rattling around in my head, and I just couldn't help think about it when they make a big deal that they had police looking for her and they couldn't find anything. Maybe they're just inept? I, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, I really don't have anything else to say about the movie other than that I still really didn't care for it all too much. I like the environment. I, I like Jason being more intimidating, especially since now he... he virtually almost sprints now which is kind of creepy and scary so i thought the new actor brought a little bit more to the character even though i i do appreciate kane hodder and like kane hodder's work as jason just this guy brought more of the you know a, emotional a connectiveness that i think the audience really needed to not only somewhat sympathize but to be frightened of him a modern audience at least 2 out of 5 For me, I know it probably sounds like I would have given it a higher rating, but it's not a good movie, in my opinion. So, two out of five.
0: All right. Well, then, where would you like to go from here, sir? We've got uh, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children
1: and The Birth of a Nation. Well, before we do that, I just wanted to ask you, the franchise as a whole, what do you think of it? Was it worth covering... will you go back and revisit these anytime
0: uh i doubt it i think though that when when i'm next at a party and they're um uh they're gonna have and or it's on in the background or it's or one of the films is gonna be coming on i think i'll know which ones that i'd be willing to um, maybe watch a few minutes of or actually even sit down and watch to either make fun of it or uh to just kind of look at it look at it again whereas before i would have just um done what i'd always done and just gone oh yeah okay sure it's jason and then just gone on to what i was doing so i think that um for that purpose it was good also i think um you know now we've got it out of the way the last one that's left is halloween i guess and Um, I, I don't know. Maybe we'll, we'll have to, (laughs) we'll have to see if we get to that one. (laughs) So anyways, but yeah,
1: um, I don't know. Are you glad we covered it? Yeah. It, it's kind of fun watching like phenomenons or going back and watching what was a phenomenon back in the eighties. Do you think Saul will be like this 10, 15, 20 years from now going back and watching Saul and thinking, God, what the hell were we? thinking at the time, liking the stuff because I do thoroughly enjoy Saw, And I think there's, despite it being more graphic in the gore department, I, I just feel like there's more of an entertaining it, like more entertainment value in that uh, franchise. I think it's
0: also because it, um, it came off the heels of the Halloween series of, uh, the nightmare on Elm street series of the Friday, the 13th series. And I think it had, um, it, it had that to look at and say, what can we do better? What can we do different? Um, so, um, again, I, I, you know, I think it's good, but yeah, I, I don't know. And also I think it met the sensibilities of the teenagers of the day, much like those other franchises met the expectations of the teenagers of their day. So.
1: Yeah. And I guess it also helps out with, uh, with, um, saw you always had like james Wan, off in the shadows overlooking the whole story and like darren lynn Bossum, i think his name had a hand in either producing or directing all the saw movies so you at least had somebody driving the boat you know a captain or being the captain of the franchise guiding the franchise i guess unlike the jason franchise where the studio looked at it as a cheap money maker, an easy money maker, and like the the originator of the series bailed out after the first or second movie, and then you had this other guy who produced four or five movies and then laughed, and then and then on top of it, you had all these directors that really didn't give a shit about the the franchise, you know, as a whole, so they like the studio thought, oh, they would bring a different perspective to it, but the only but the big issue is that they really didn't have the creative control the directors did, as they should have, to really bring a new taste to the to the to the to the franchise, which is why we had the the old-fashioned gothic monster movie. And then we also had the telekinetic Carrie Meets Jason movie. But they were never completely I was never satisfied completely watching them, and it was because nobody really had that creative control. Nobody really knew what to do and felt comfortable taking the series into a different direction. I honestly think that is what this series lacked. Was a little bit more of positive variety, comfortable variety, I should say. But yeah, no, I'm you know I'm glad we watched it. I would have been curious if we didn't. Right
0: on, right on. Well, there you go. Nice little retrospective of the retrospective. <laughs> um, and getting to our, uh, last two movies. You can't dodge the question anymore. Where do you want to go? How about Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children? Alright. Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. 2016 British American Dark Fantasy Films, directed by Tim Burton. Uh, written by Jane Goldman, is based on the 2011, uh, novel of the same name by Ransom Riggs. Uh, film stars Eva Green, Asa Butterfield, Chris O'Dowd, Alison Janey, Rupert Everett, Terrence Stamp, Ella Purnell, Judy Dench, and Samuel L. Jackson. Um, so what we have here is a, kid by the name of jake who is um basically um feels like he's just kind of ignored and uh, a wallflower so to speak kind of a nerd um and yet he was raised with a uh, with a grandfather who uh told him fantastic stories and really just injected his childhood with um with all of the fantasy and the tales and the imagination that kids should have. Um, but the way that the grandfather told the tales is he made them out to be true events. And eventually as all kids and adults come to realize, um, fairy tales are fairy tales. And so that led to a bit of a rift between his grandpa and he, but not enough that they like didn't love each other or anything like that. Um, of course we then come to find that grandpa's tales were true and that there are actually kids out there and with um peculiar they're called peculiars and just think fantasy version dark fantasy version of x-men basically um and Jake has to go on a mission to find out just exactly what happened to his grandpa, because his grandpa dies rather suddenly. And there we go. And of course, shenanigans ensue. Um, so here's what I think about this movie. I, I, it's kind of like I couldn't quite tell what they were trying to aim for were they trying to be something fantastical that kids would like or grow into were they trying to be something more for the young adult audience or were they trying to um broad spectrum it so that they could bring parents in as well and adults um or shall we say you know 20 somethings that would be interested in this material and want to see where it would go and i think as a as a consequence of that, it kind of fails to bring in, um, because it's trying so hard to please all these different uh, groups, it somehow doesn't quite reach any of them. Now, that being said, it's not a bad movie whatsoever. Um, I think that Terrence Stamp does just an absolutely outstanding job as uh, Abe, uh, who plays Jake's, uh, Asa Butterfield's, um, grandfather. And of course, Asa Butterfield, uh, was in, um, oh, good lord. The space moot. What was the, well, Harrison Ford? It was the, the Ender's game. Uh, he was in Ender's game last year. Or the year before. And, um, he does a really good job here. He definitely has that look, um, as he's aged of someone who, can, who, who can exist as kind of that outsider, um, nerd-tastic kind of character, but someone who actually has the, the capacity for more and the capacity to lead, which I think is cool. But we also have this kind of very quick, brusque, uh, if you will, not brisk, but brusque introduction to the world that's that he's in the world he's supposed to get to, and why the world exists as it does, and how we come to make him be who he needs to be and all of these things are kind of jarring and then kind of leaves more questions than answers. You also have some pretty some pretty interesting character dynamics in people like Chris O'Dowd who i think he tried to do a southern accent but gave up halfway through and just went to a default american accent which also didn't sound very natural for him for some reason especially since he's clearly um got a heritage that's um, he's an irishman well yeah he's irishman by um in in, in real life but um even through the movie itself, he's clearly got a heritage from Wales or whatever. So there was really no reason for him to have <laughs> this, um, accent that he had. So whatever. Um, and then you have Eva Green who plays Miss Peregrine and of course Peregrine from a Peregrine Falcon because she is what is known as, um, an, uh, oh what do they call it She she's an in an in an inbred not inbred in inborn is that what they call it
1: a shapeshifter
0: imbrins imbrins that's what it's called uh but yeah she can basically turn into a bird uh but their key peculiarity is the ability to to create time loops and that's what they use to take care of the kids and keep them uh in check this in and of itself though um creates its own problems and its own issues because while the idea of being in a time loop trapped in 1943 which is where this movie uh this movie's uh time loop takes place because the movie is current it is a 2016 movie takes place in 2016 but also uses time and time loops as a manner to make it make you understand why these kids look like they're from the 40s and yet um much like vampire uh uh vampire diaries what no what was it uh, interview with the vampire showed us kids don't want to be immortal okay it gets old they they understand the concept of not being able to leave the same day and yet these kids you know complain about it but in no way shape or form do they try to revolt against it which i didn't find to be believable so you can see all these competing things and yet the adventure of the movie is good the writing is good um i found the pacing to be overall well done but again sometimes it's not brisk it's brusque it's it just kind of in your face as they jar the movie forward and and so that's when I think it leans more towards younger kids. But it's very dark um, and definitely not something that younger kids would like. So now you're in the, the that young adult area, say 13 to 17 range, where uh, and, and that's kind of where the romance is at and stuff. But then you've got the overarching issues of family. You've got the idea of the reality for the peculiars versus the whites who are the bad guys in the movie. Of course, Samuel Jackson is the lead bad guy um and how his interactions are specifically you can see that 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 aspect of the writing was done to more appe- appease adults and stuff but at the same time try and appease kids as well so the film is simultaneously all over the place but it it makes it does it does create a world that is cohesive Um, but the message is kind of cluttered. Also, it was pretty clear that they're trying to set this up to be a franchise. And because of that, the final, say, four or five minutes of the movie feel forced rather than, um, yeah, just feel forced rather than organic. But it's still a decent movie. Overall, still a really decent movie. At the end of the day, I can give this one a 3.75 out of 5. Um, And I'm interested to see if they can do something better. But I I would honestly be happy if this is all that there was. What do you got there, Tim?
1: Okay, I saw this in a pack theater. And there were a lot of little kids in this movie. And I'll tell you what. The jokes in this movie are for young kids... But the tone of this movie is for young adults slash adults, I guess, or kid, eight year old kids who can handle it. And I'm talking about there were like five year olds, six year olds who were crying, who wanted to leave. I mean, you see eyeballs getting taken out of somebody's skull and then put into somebody's mouth as they're you know in eating them. So you see all this type of stuff. There's a lot of, like, gothic, scary imagery. Things that you haven't seen from Tim Burton in many, many, many years. And I think people were just getting too comfortable with, like, Frankenweenie and and Alice in Wonderland. And he did Big Eyes uh, a few years ago, which is actually pretty good. But in no way is it, like, a dark, you know, creepy, moody uh, Tim Burton movie. So this is really the first darkest and most Tim burton movie in years, I think since Sweeney Todd, probably back in 2006 or 2007. Um, it, I mean, it's definitely a dark and eerie fairy tale, but I, I agree with you, Matt. It doesn't know who exactly it's targeting, at least when you went to go watch Beetlejuice, when you went to go watch Edward Scissorhands. You knew that if you were an older kid, even younger kid, I was super young when I first saw Beetlejuice and when I first saw Edward Scissorhands, I loved it for what it was. But the thing is, is that the the the, the humor wasn't trying, the movie wasn't trying to make everybody happy. In this movie, the humor is dumb. The jokes are dumb. The things that they say is dumb. It's like... You know, whenever they they talk about poopy diaper, I don't know if they actually talk about poopy diapers. Whenever they say, instead of saying, oh, you shit yourself, they'll say something like, ooh, did you go poopy in your pants? As if adults are supposed to find that funny, and it's just not whatsoever. I'm not necessarily saying that they actually say that in the movie, but it seems like Samuel L. Jackson says some pretty dumb stuff that doesn't come across as... You know, it just doesn't come across as it was targeted for uh, for younger folk. Um, but the overall, as you can tell, the movie was ultimately frustrating due to the utterly embarrassing scenes and moments that outnumber all of the genuinely good ones. I felt everything was met with Miss Peregrine was very entertaining, uh, was cool. I loved Eva Green as Miss Peregrine. I just wanted more of her. Um, more of that character more of that interaction i wanted her to go on these adventures with the kids whenever they leave their loop and end up going somewhere else uh, i thought the last fight scene between the monsters and the kids at that really shitty little fairy in fairground at the pier and wherever it was was dumb as shit um because nobody was there it was like a little tiny Pure fair that not a lot of people would go to that 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 looks like it would have been closed down in like two years you know because nobody would go to it and yet there is this there's this little dumb little battle that's happening there that just leaves you wanting so much more and it felt like you were watching like you know little rascals or baby geniuses or something it was that level of of I think stupid choreography and 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 whatnot Uh, so it's the movie's just frustrating just frustrating 2.75 out of five for me i i wanted to love this movie and it was so it was so close so close so i probably should give it give it you know lower than 2.75 but i i really like eva green 2.75 out of five
0: all right, well, then that leaves us with The Birth of a Nation, 2016 version of this movie. Um Well, version, I'm sorry, 2016 title of this movie. Um Not to be confused with D.W. Griffiths. This is, of course, period drama films based on the story of Nat Turner, who had the slave uh rebellion back in 1831. It's directed by Nate Parker and stars Nate Parker in the title role. And, uh, we find ourselves, uh, oh, along with Army Hammer, Coleman Domingo, Aja Naomi King, Jackie Earl Haley, Penelope Ann Miller, and Gabrielle Union. Um, this is a, uh, this is a very well acted drama. Um, however, and I'm, and, and as far as I'm concerned, um, despite the film's flaws, Nate Parker, needs an oscar nomination for this i thought he did a fantastic fantastic job um and uh there's a scene in this film and i'm just going to jump right to it because again this is it's it's not about the rebellion proper it's about his life and the things that made him look at um what it meant to be a slave and what it meant versus what it meant to be free and why he felt it was necessary to rise up. Um, so, uh, the, um, so there's a scene in here where one of the biggest impetuses is that his wife ends up getting raped. Um, and they come to a scene afterwards. And of course, she's badly beaten and everything. And, they have a talk and he's like "Uh, you know you got to tell me who did this and she's like you know she quotes a bible scripture about you know um if you live by the sword you'll die by the sword kind of a thing and you know she loves you know she she loves him too much to have him do that to her to himself for her and that scene in and of itself alone convinced me homeboy needs a homeboy needs an oscar nomination for that um, so it's a, so there's no question that it's a well-acted film. But the problem with the movie for me is that a lot of people don't understand that the rebellion in and of itself was only about a day and a half long. Um, and that most of what we know of Nat Turner's life comes from a guy who, while Nat Turner was on the run, went around asking about him trying to figure some stuff out and then of course after he was captured and while he was awaiting to be hung the guy interviewed him in jail and then subsequently wrote a book called the confessions of nat or the confession of nat turner that's really and truly about the only historical record that we have of anybody who's claiming that nat turner said what he said um so what you have to and so much like braveheart there's there's limited historical record to work with there's there's clearly some things there you know they've got the date of his relative date of his birth they've got the relative the certain date of his death uh they know the fallout from the rebellion they know the preceding event going into the rebellion and the activities of the rebellion itself but the movie again doesn't really focus on that it focuses on the build up to it and so People see this movie that's got kind of a slow build happening and it's punctuated by very strong scenes and certain very strong events. Again, like the one where he talks to his wife after she's been beaten and raped. Um, and, and these people are just waiting for this huge payoff. But if you know your history, you know there's no real payoff to this. And so you're, and so myself, knowing what was going to happen and knowing that that couldn't you know sure you can make a movie about one day but um in this particular context that's not what this film uh is about it's more about what nat turner experienced and why he saw the things that he saw and how he juxtaposed that with african mysticism and christianity which are things that um were a duality in the lives of slaves at that time. And you have to, you have to kind of give it to Nate Parker. He understood that and he un- understood how to work that in. So again, it's a lot, it's a lot more like Braveheart, um, in that you don't have a whole lot of, to work with, but you do have a simple narrative that you can use and something that you can build into and then take parts of legend, parts of myth, um, parts of historical, um, fiction or things that happened to other slaves or other people and things that were going on at the time and then work that into the narrative of nate parker leading into the rebellion but without all of that historical context or not going knowing that in you've got this slow movie with the punctuations but no real payoff and so it kind of feels like a bit of a letdown even when you understand that much like uh braveheart the things they did to defile Nat Parker, uh Nat Parker, I'm sorry, <laughs> Nat Turner, I'm combining Nate Parker and Nat Turner here, Uh Nat Turner were, def- were done so that, you know, it was meant as a symbol, you know, this is what will happen to you, Uh and also to kind of make sure that he was forgotten and grounded and, and pushed away, but that's just it, though. When you do something um that creates and evokes this kind of a response from the ruling uh people that is the symbol what you do to try and make them go away make gives them their martyrdom and it has the opposite effect and so um it and and so i i gotta say that the movie in and of itself is a good movie but it is a slow movie and while there are definitely great points in this film where you're like wow what a powerful scene they're not enough to give you the overall context of this is just a hugely powerful and important movie now you guys know that i do get kind of um tired with you know being like is you know with uh uh Lee Daniels the Butler, Seven Years a Slave, um, Selma, those kinds of movies. The one thing that I liked about this movie is I felt that it was very even-handed in its critique as well as its, um, uh, as well as its lambasting of slave life. Because it definitely gave you the perspective that Nate Parker had, you know, a Washingtonian Overall experience, a Jeffersonian experience in being a slave where he wasn't completely mistreated all the time. Um, you know, there were people who kind of cared for him in as much as you can say that. Um, and believe me, I don't mean that to be like he should have been thankful versus other people, other slaves who were clearly mistreated, who were clearly beaten, who were clearly, you know, dehumanized. And even within Nate's own sphere, you've got the, the, um, butler and everything who's trying to tell him, you know, you can't do these things because we're all going to pay for it. Um, so I thought that it was a very, Even handed approach. And that is also something that I thought that this movie did well. Unfortunately, at the end of the day, the movie is slow. So I do give this one 3.5 out of 5 because it is a good movie and I think it's worth watching. The performances are really, really strong. Great individual scenes that are had. But unfortunately, the slow moving, uh, storytelling with not a resulting grandiose payoff, um, hurts it more than it helps it. So 3.5 bring us home Tim.
1: it's very difficult to not be political with a movie like this, uh, given the subject matter and given uh, the uh, not necessarily, I don't want to say backlash, but given everything that's been said about it via, uh, you know, news reporting and articles. And I'm not talking about what Nate Parker has been accused of. I'm not talking that I, I'm not, Associating that at all with this movie, but I'm just talking about the movie in general Uh, because when this movie came out earlier this year or late last year at the film festivals, it was garnering garnering rave reviews. So I've been hearing about this. We've been hearing about this for many, many, many months, almost a full year. So I've been waiting to watch this movie to see this movie for so long because I I remember I studied this um uh, when i was studying uh um uh cuban culture, cuban slavery, uh not Cuban slavery, um well Cuban slavery was one of the things I studied, but slavery in the um in the tropical region. We touched on Nat Turner. I'm trying not to say Nate, Nat Parker either, uh, but uh we we touched on Nat Turner And uh, not necessarily because of the location, because obviously he was not in any of the tropical regions, but because there were other rebellions that spawned from his rebellion, because it was amazing how word just kind of spread within the communities and whatnot. So I remember learning about this in knowing that Nat Turner had had some kind of had some issues and so I, I not necessarily as a human being but there were health issues there were issues of uh i i'm not issues I, i'm kind of struggling with the exact word i want to use but he was struggling with a um with the the idea of and not i don't not a messiah complex either but the idea that he he was put on this earth for a, a particular reason Uh, But however, he reached that that breaking point in his life where he just witnessed so much horrible things, so many horrible things, uh, not necessarily to his wife or not only just to his wife, but to his friends and within his community and to all the other slaves just like him were were being put in these horrendous, horrible situations, uh, obviously. And so that just kind of led to his breaking point to where he felt like okay well since i've been ordained as a young kid that i am special that people will follow me i am going to use this so that people will follow me because i know exactly what to do um and and so i knew about a lot of that stuff going into this movie and honestly for the for most of the film, 80% of the film, I was completely behind it. I thought, damn, man, this movie is well acted, um, well directed, well produced, though it does get a little bit melodramatic. Um, at, at, you know, well, maybe not a little bit melodramatic. It, it gets a lot melodramatic, but never does it take away from the essential characteristics of these characters in the story that is being told. I just ultimately thought that the editing was quite choppy during the first half. I really thought it had some very interesting and cool imagery, and therefore it produced these great pictures. And what I mean by that is that if you take a particular frame of the film, a still frame of that film, it it looks like a picture you could just hang up on your wall. Like for the example, when he was getting whipped and left there and there were all those candles, people were leaving all those candles out on their front porches. Just seeing those candles behind him as the camera was moving, camera was moving up and he's lying there, um, it was just absolutely beautiful, and this movie is just riddled with beautiful imagery, um, stuff that you just really har- you hardly ever see this type of stuff anymore, and especially with the movie about slavery. Uh, It it was just well crafted and I could just tell that a lot of thought went into this film and I don't know if it was because of Nate Parker or whoever else, it's just this movie was well thought out and cared for and I I can't tell you how much I appreciate that and it, it definitely is very much refreshing. However, this movie did take a lot of liberties when it came to the rebellion and Nat Turner's character progression towards that rebellion in in my mind what i learned is that he just kind of snapped and in this movie he does something he just snaps but it's a very it's a very angry snap and where i thought he was fighting I, I I kind of felt like that he was fighting for two different things. You know, uh, he was fighting for one thing when I was learning about him. And in this movie, he was fighting for something else. At least that's what I got from, from the, uh, you know, character um, or his portrayal. There's so much more going on with this movie, you know, j- just, just so much more going on that I felt uh, 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 but it feels like they and I and I and I kind of feel like they did a disservice to the story itself and to the character because I thought they were obvious. There was obviously an ulterior motive to this movie. Uh, like Nat, Nat Parker tried the director. It felt like he tried to make so many comparisons to race the race relations now that I think a lot of that overshadowed what was happen- what was really going on at that time um I could be I could be totally wrong. I know a lot of people feel the same way. I know a lot of people don't feel the same way, and again, I wasn't trying to be overly political with this review again, it's kind of difficult not to be if that's one of your criticisms, but honestly, that's just how I felt. It felt like there was just underlining underlying. A motive that they were trying to make a comparison a, a direct comparison from uh then to now and i just really didn't know how to completely feel about that other than you know of course i agree you know the stuff that's going on now is shouldn't be going on and what happened back then sure as shit should not have been going on but i yeah i i don't know i matt do you do, am I making sense whatsoever? I don't I don't want to come across as a total asshole or anything like that. I'm, I'm trying to be as fair and... Not fair, but I'm trying to, I, I guess, explain it in some way that makes sense. I don't know. Sense. I guess,
0: for me, I, um, uh, I, I just chose to look at this movie based on the story it was trying to tell and the filmmaking in and of itself. Not... Uh, and not with any kind of a lens of, is it an allegory for things today? Because this movie, um in my opinion, doesn't need to do that. And, um, I, because, uh I, I think that, um, the story in and of itself is enough to say what it needs to say about America's sins or anything of that nature. So, um... And I did too. I mean, I definitely you know.
1: wanted this movie. So that's I mean, you know, so that's where I out. so that's
0: where I landed on it. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't need to, you know, try and put a political hat on in any way, shape, or form. And 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 if and regardless of whether or not anybody does, or if they went into it with just a purely, you know, audience member perspective, and yet they were struck by uh political similarities well then that's just you know the things that you saw and film can do that film i mean that's the beauty of film uh, regardless of its intentions it, it it is an art form and once it's been released to the media it's no longer what uh the media once the media has been released to the masses it's no longer what the artist meant to convey it's what the art, audience sees so I mean it's a completely valid point if you found uh political things in it, regardless of intent or regardless of uh, on either side the filmmaker's intent or your intent as an audience member for me um I just went in from a purely historical perspective and and looking at it just from the aspect of the movie making itself so
1: that's fine <laughs> good well, I'm glad you approved.
0: <laughs> so, where, so, but what was so? What was the final score?
1: All right. So I, so I was, I was very much bothered by that that last act, I guess, and I, 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 I'm, and and that brought the score down significantly. But again, I mean, it's not. We're not talking about Friday the Thirteenth scoring here. Um, though I had a problem with what I thought were heavily modern political undertones. I still give this movie three point out of five or three three point out of five. Three point five out of five as well. And I, I do recommend people to go and see it and please let us know what you think, Diana. Awesome.
0: And you know, in, in terms of the ending, I can I can also kind of see again from a cinematic perspective how he might have been going uh how Nate Parker might have been going for something rather gloriesque. Um where you know you've got this kind of noble rage against the dying of the light that in in and of itself is kind of was kind of pointless but i thought glory was still oh I mean, no i just think glory did it better um i think exactly glory, I think glory, glory had a better but glory had a better story to tell i think in and of itself um which better is, as
1: in stronger had more like more to go off of is what you're saying
0: yeah no it had a better story yeah. to tell uh it's not that Nate uh, isn't Nate it's not that nat Turner's doesn't deserve to be told uh, or that it shouldn't be told, but I think that the regiment story um of these men who were fighting who were truly fighting for their freedom um in in what was what you could construe to be one of the first real uh, attempts to do so, a legitimate attempts to do so, um, is just a different kind of a story where you have more to work with. Um, and that I think makes it a better story. I also think that, um, uh, that as compared to Nat Turner, um, there were different aspects of it. And I, and I did kind of like that illusion at the very end, the one boy, uh, sorry for the spoiler alert, because we didn't have a spoiler section for this, but the one boy who, um, was uh, uh the boy who kind of gave Nat Turner away. Um is the boy who grows into the um Union yeah, the soldier. Union soldier yeah who grows yeah. into the Union soldier. So um yeah. So anyways. All right, cool. Well three point five all the way around. So yay yay. And next week's movies for our Hollywood horror cast are going to be The Uninvited, The Curse of Frankenstein, and Eyes Without a Face. Um, so that brings us to that and brings us to uh, the spiel does it not sir spiel on alright well the music you'll be listening to as always has been brought to us by our music partners Cries of Solus you can check them out at reverbnation.com and Facebook.com both slash cries of Solace. as for us we are of course the SLS cast you can find us at slscast.com you can send us an email to the show at slscast.com you can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS cast you can follow me this is Matt on Twitter at nittwit one two three four five you can also climb aboard that information superhighway and track down tim on twitter if that's your heart's desire don't forget you can always subscribe to us on itunes and or favorite us on stitcher radio along with picking us up on soundcloud and until next week this is matt saying that thanks to eva green i get to say this i am a dreamer
1: seriously i'm living on another planet take care cinephiles we'll talk at you again next week